0: Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at Dr-History.com for a short personal video message to listen to the latest stories and to leave a comment.
1: I thought I had heard it all. I thought I had been everywhere and seen it all. But no, Dr. History just came in and surprised me with... uh, Pigs and a Ford. What in the world are you talking about?
0: All right, Zeb. I have seen it all now. <laughs> we, Take me to heaven, Lord. <laughs> we, just, we just got back from the Oregon coast, and I'm going to tell you, folks, if you head over to Portland, number one, stop in Baker City. There is a great Oregon Trail Museum oh, yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Amazing. You need yeah. to stop there. Yeah. So we got over to Tillamook, which is uh, over on the ocean uh, by uh, uh, west of Portland. They were having the Tillamook County Fair. Mm -hmm. And as I walked around the fair, it looked just like, almost like here. Just good people. You know, just a friendly community. Great cheese. Yeah, and ice cream. Yeah. But they had a race that I have never seen before in my life. It's called the pig in a Ford. Pig in a Ford. Please explain that to our audience. There were five... Model T Fords stripped down to just the chassis, the steering wheel, a seat, and the motor. Yeah. Then you had five pins with three pigs in each pin. You had five drivers lined up. They shoot the gun off. The drivers run across. They grab a pig. They run over to their Model T. They have to crank it, start it, jump in the Model T, go around the track, around the arena, come back, turn off the motor, take their pig, put it in a pin, and grab the other pig, come back. <laughs> crank the car, get it going again, around the track they go again... Third tire, and they're holding on to the pig. And they're holding on to the pig the whole time. They come back around, they make three laps with three pigs, and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you at home, if he didn't have the video to prove this, I would look at him and say, come
0: on, <laughs> this is the wackiest thing oh. I've ever seen. You said it's been going on for how Since many years? Nine, like 1923, almost 100 no. years. And it's a big deal. I mean, it's uh, bragging rights for the year, and it, they take it serious. Yes.
1: It's got to be a little tough to hold
0: on to a squealing, uh, squirming pig around <laughs> and that track. drive with one hand. Oh, my. Go- are it, there any wrecks? No, there were no wrecks. Oh, okay. Uh, th- I think they must have a governor on the motors, because they only got up to a certain speed, couldn't go any faster.
1: Was it Butch Otter, uh, or who was it? I don't know what oh, okay. it was. It was
0: like 20 miles an hour. <laughs> okay. I don't know, 25. Anyway, that is amazing. Thank you for yeah, sharing
1: that fun. with us. By the way, our thanks go out to John Hagedorn. He's listening yes. this morning, okay, back great. in New York, and uh, filled in for you last week talking about the life and times and the
0: demise of Tom Horn. Yeah, great story. Yeah, so, was. appreciate John doing that for us. Okay. So, we're going to continue what I did about two weeks ago about the towns. How the towns got established, yeah. Yeah. one thing another. So, you know, the building of a city really was a pretty amazing thing. In fact, one guy, quote, said 12 days ago, there was not a house here. Today, there are 105 and in a week, there will be 200. They just boomed, you know. Uh, it says ox teams were dragging logs around. Men were hammering Picks and shovels, wheelbarrows, uh, noised in every direction. And by evening, as it got dark, it kind of quieted down. But the next morning, started up as soon as daylight, uh, building, hammering, shoveling, building. uh, What about
1: the occupants themselves, though? I mean, where did they come from all of a sudden to create a town?
0: Well, basically, they were, sometimes it was advertising. Uh, people that were promoting the town would send out advertisers back east and say, hey, we've got this great town. You need to come. Really? So, But, you know, this is the scene that played out all over the West in the second half of the 19th century. During those 50 years, literally thousands of new towns came into being, some not very long, uh, some just dried right up. But across the plains and the mountains and the prairies, yeah, it was big. What was the number one thing they looked for? Obviously, it was water, I'm water sure. Water and railroad. They needed a railroad. So there was a roving reporter. He was passing through Wyandotte Kansas, Wyandotte, Kansas, 1857, and he said that, for the record, that the village was four months old and had 400 citizens. It was on a beautiful site. It was overlooking the Missouri River. Uh, so, you know, view and uh, a river, all that was good. But yeah. Um, when one of the founders of Fremont, Nebraska, first laid eyes on the town site uh, on the Platte River in 1856, he found quote hardships of every kind. I mean, it, it wasn't easy to to go and start from scratch building a town. Who was the basic money person? Just they themselves, the people who came. But a lot of times during the months, uh, this guy wondered about the wisdom of putting down roots in this area of Indians and wild beasts, he said. and uh, But he and his fellow se- uh, settlers suffered through a really hard winter. They had to actually uh, uh, bring provisions in from Omaha, which was a round trip of about a week. Oh, and goodness. when the coming of spring, the town perked up and everybody just uh, <laughs> uh, kicked in and
1: was doing good. You made an excellent point a minute ago and one that I thought of watching an old way. Western movie the other night, the shipments of goods and services coming in from other larger metropolitan areas to furnish goods to, like, Dodge City, Kansas and everything, that must have been quite a chore.
0: Well, it was. That's why that you had the freighters. But, you know, in this one town, uh, there was a young man that was not very impressed with what was going on, and so one evening, uh, his grandmother reminded him that he had forgotten to say grace over the food. Okay, he said, well, he says, I don't see what we have to give thanks for. He says, we live in a beggar house eating beggar food, and we have to sit on old trunks and three-legged stools instead of chairs. So he wasn't overly impressed. He wasn't a great guy to have a Thanksgiving. No, no. But, you know, despite this, uh, you know, Fremont uh, survived and enjoyed a a steady rise in its fortune. The Union Pacific Railroad came in 1866. A bank was begun uh, in the back of a hardware store. The town grew, became a prosperous agricultural center. Mm -hmm. Now, survival, much less success, was never certain for any town uh, in the West. There was a town called Garland City, and it was destined to have a lifespan of about 2 months in the spring of 1878 when the Denver and the Rio Grande Railroad progressed 30 miles away from them the entire town walls windows furnishings sidewalks were taken apart oh no and hauled over to what became alamosa really so the, the town was in a place that wasn't convenient, so they just packed up everything and moved. And st- tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, we're leaving. <laughs> yeah, everybody be ready. <laughs> oh, my. But, you know, a lot of the millions of settlers across the Mississippi and the Missouri rivers uh, during that time, you know, of course, only uh, indirectly concerned with towns. Uh, the Town came to they came to make a living by farming and grazing cattle. That's what they wanted to do. Did the town per se,
1: regardless of where it was, did they have any discernment as to who was going to start
0: what kind of a business? I think it was just first come, first serve, basically. And there were a lot of shortages. So, but, you know, along with these, you know, again, came men and women who they wanted to win a livelihood by providing goods and services for the rest of the population. So there were the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. Ah, where have I heard that before? The boot maker, the banker, the saloon keeper, the doctor, the barber, all these guys, you know. So, uh, and. Were uh, a lot of the towns like
1: some of the western cities that we've read about with the false front buildings?
0: Yes, yeah, and I I think that was just to, I don't know, maybe to impress people that there was more there than what there yeah, really was. Yeah. But, you know, along with the newspaper and the hotel, a saloon obviously came onto the scene. Uh, saloon keepers were particularly numerous in towns where the cowboys came at the end of the trail ride. Yeah. So Abilene, with a year-round population of about 800 in 1871, had 11 saloons to accommodate the 5,000 or more trail hands coming in from Texas. So, so it was saloons, a city of eight hundred, but with five thousand cowboys coming through, every so often. I'll bet you they might have had a little problem. Yeah, but you know, in the mining towns, the, actually, the saloons sometimes stayed open twenty-four hours a day, really, seven days a week, to squeeze out. What all. about food for restaurants? I I don't know. I, they probably had people who went out hunting for them. Oh my! Now consider this, Zeb. Everybody that went west wasn't exactly skilled at woodworking.
1: Imagine right? that.
0: So these would-be townsmen who were kind of deficient, you would say, in construction skills, uh, they could get a ready-made solution that were actually prefabricated houses of every description from one-room dwellings to 400-seat churches could be ordered from a Midwestern lumberyard. And the prefabs were shipped west in freight wagons, boxcars, or riverboats. So they came like in a kit. Way back then? Like from Sears, yeah. You're kidding. So, ready-made houses, you know. A 400-person church? Yeah. So, I mean, these guys were were amazing.
1: I didn't know that they had such a
0: thing as prefab back then. In fact, uh, the prices... Let me just tell you. Uh, dwelling number one was $173. Uh, get up there, a store was $400. Uh, railway station, 600 Schoolhouse, $1,200. Prefabbed.
1: Today, that $173 would buy you a doorknob.
0: <laughs> Maybe, if you, <laughs> if you got a cheap one. Now, there's something that's always fascinated me that I've seen on movies and TV. Okay. And that's the land rush. When they line up. Like in Oklahoma. Yeah, and they yeah. shoot the gun off. Yeah. So How do they do that? Well, I'm going to. Um, uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Oh, well, good. <laughs> So, you know, the excitement uh, that attended the birth of almost every western town, uh, but few communities, match the excitement of Guthrie, Oklahoma. Oh, yes. Guthrie, Oklahoma. Yes. Okay, the year is 1889. It took just 24 hours to transform Guthrie from a, just kind of a little watering stop uh, for the Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe Railroad. They made a song of that. They did. I sang it. No, I didn't. Uh, (laughs) Anyway into a city of more than 10,000 from nothing more than just a water stop. And here's how it happened. Its overnight success was directly due to its location inside the region known as Indian Territory later... El Oklahoma, and it was deeded to several tribes by treaty with the U.S. government. The territory was off limits to everybody but a few whites. Now, among the exceptions were federal lawmen and employees of the Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe Railroad. They could actually go in there and and have a house. So uh, anyway, Guthrie included. Uh, it was about three thousand square miles uh, of the Indians territory of the reservation and it was called the district okay Mm -hmm. in early 1889 responding to pressures by the farmers that they saw this great land hey this looks good and so congress actually acquired they bought the district from the Indians and declared it open to white settlers okay president benjamin harrison set the opening time for 12 o'clock noon april 22nd and he also hinted that guthrie would someday become a territorial capital which is I didn't but yeah. so here we go. The momentous day arrived, thousands of people, adventurers, they were posed at different starting lines on the boundaries all the way around this thing of the district. U.S. cavalrymen held them back in check until precisely twelve noon. A bugle sounded, the land rush was on.
1: Now may I ask a question? Sure. Okay, thank you, teacher. <laughs> when they they carried a stake. In the movie, I saw where they carried a stake with a flag on it. What did that stake, when it was pounded in the ground, what did it represent as a circumference?
0: Okay, let me keep going here. I I think I'll answer that. Okay. Okay, so here's all these people on Mule, Oxtron, Prairie schooners uh, rumbled forward, and you can imagine a cloud of dust. Some men, believe it or not, wobbled along on high-wheeled bicycles. Out you know, there in the You know desert? those great big, yeah. with the big front wheel? Yeah. Others uh, sprinted on foot. Uh, others galloped ahead by horse. In fact, there was four circus midgets on a single horse. Riding as fast as they could. Well, today
1: you have to say there were four short people on, <laughs> they a, were on a.
0: on a horse, <laughs> but uh, and actually the train came was headed that way too. So there were a bunch of people on the train going into this area. They and just they, jumped off the train. Yeah, they, when they got close, they just jump off because the train was going too slow. So most of the passengers leaped off the train. They started pounding stakes that they had brought along to claim lots. Okay, this is the answer to your question. Brought along claim uh, lots that had been marked off by federal surveyors a few days earlier. Okay,
1: so the lots
0: had already been
1: marked off. Right, and all they had to do to claim that was to put the stake right. in put the lot. Right, put their stake. Yes. Now, were they of various sizes?
0: And that's a good question because I'm thinking, you know, if you. In the town area, I guess it would have had to be just a certain size. Yeah. But if, I'm thinking there's a lot of people that wanted to be outside of the town. Well,
1: in that movie, fun. and I cannot think of the name of that movie. I know you've seen it where they had the Oklahoma land rush. Yeah. And the gallopers on the horses and everything. Right. And they were staking out, like, for a farm or a ranch or whatever. Yeah.
0: How did they do that? Well, and that, I think, came after the town was established, that they would go out and, and find and then uh, apply for that land but as far as the land rush i think it was mostly just in the town area itself was it okay but and there were disagreements uh oh. over you know cuz there was some confusion among all this and they were usually settled it says by a flip of a coin or by an arbitration board so or the cock of a hammer of a 45 <laughs> yeah yeah so you know anyway it was uh, quite the exciting i would have loved to <laughs> just seen that wouldn't you i wouldn't you? want to be in it no 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 so anyway you know in these early towns, there was a lot of violence. I mean, the law was not as good as it could have been.
1: They didn't so, have Matt Dillon.
0: No. So uh, there was a fiddler, an Irish fiddler named Kelly, and he was employed in a saloon in Idaho City, Idaho. And he grew so scared and apprehensive over the, uh, what you'd call the hair-trigger tantrums of the local miners that he insisted on an ingenious invention uh, to keep him safe. Okay, now here's what it was. He had the owner build a platform that was rigged to the ceiling by a system of pulleys. So here he is, he's sitting on this platform with his piano, okay, on this platform that's rigged up with pulleys and ropes, and whenever gunfire broke out, he was lifted aloft where he played on, presumably over the, Line of fire. Uh, But
1: Liberace (laughs) on a a piece of wood like that up in the air, didn't they shoot their guns up in the air? (laughs) Well, I
0: think he was hoping that the platform kept him safe. Uh huh. Anyway, you know, now in the farming regions, you know, a saloon was generally just a very more quiet uh place where the patrons could come in buy a nickel glass of beer and a quiet place. yeah you know because yeah. it was the farmers they weren't the oh, yeah. renegades and, i see you know they'd nibble on a pickle and chew on a cracker and <laughs> a nibble <on> a pickle. <laughs> you know and just sit around and talk just okay. like it's yeah. just like now yeah so yeah. but you know uh no town was complete without a blacksmith he had to you had to have somebody to repair the wagons. So craftsmen, uh, they gave incentives. Uh, some towns offered them a free livery stable uh, for a blacksmith to come in. Um, and sometimes the blacksmith would actually take off and make rounds uh, out onto the prairie to, to do repairs out to some of the ranches. Really? But uh, the chief focus of Newtown's commercial life was the general store. And I've never heard this before, Zeb, but they called it a shebang. Have a You ever shebang. heard that shebang? I've heard the word shebang. Well, but it, I didn't know it was term, associated with the store. That's the term they used for a general store—a shebang. And no. it, they figure it comes from way back in Europe, some anyway. But and actually, they had liquor in bottled form was there available? Shebang, uh, shebang, <laughs> along with almost everything else that a frontiersman might need. You know, uh, sugar, uh, salt, molasses, meat, gunpowder, ammunition, coal oil, everything. You know, may I ask another need.
1: question? There, sure.
0: The storage of
1: meat and food produce etc during that time yeah uh, a little
0: iffy isn't it well but you know some people had a a uh, like a, a a dugout where they would get ice in the wintertime a little ice house yeah. underground and they would take blocks of ice and put it in there and cover it over uh, really? you know like a little little basement type yeah, thing, yeah. Uh, usually outside. But, you know, the merchant was usually the most popular guy in town and the most indispensable. And, and some, I know we're about out of time, but I got to tell you, I ran across this the other day, that you've heard the term fire water. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I found out where that came from. Uh, okay. Okay. So, the uh, early trappers, as they came out, and they would trade whiskey and alcohol to the Indians for uh, furs and mm-hmm. one thing or another. Yeah. And they would water it down sometimes. Oh, I really? I can't imagine. Well, the Indians caught on to this pretty fast. And so, when they were going to buy some alcoholic beverage, they would take a, a little glass of it, they'd go over to the fire and they'd pour it over the fire. If the fire went out, that meant that there was too much water in the alcohol. And But if it flared up, then they knew that it had pretty good content of alcohol. Really? Fire water, yeah. That's... So those guys were pretty smart. Yeah, they knew that that, that these trappers were watered well, What happened
1: down. to the trappers when they were found out to have watered down the whiskey? I, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> you know, it, it, going back to the goods and services again, Yeah. they didn't have a commercial distributor at that time call up somebody and say, we need this, this, and this. How did they do that?
0: Well, they had... Had uh, people that would come make regular routes or uh, through the through the towns
1: and check off
0: right, and they would usually bring everything they knew that the town that the uh, uh, store owner would need, that the merchant would need. I was
1: watching an old Gunsmoke series one time, and they had a a guy that was a whiskey drummer, and he would go to the saloons and say, "This you need this and this," and then uh, about three four weeks later, a a big wagon would come through. Right, and did they they do the same with the meats and everything?
0: Yeah, I'm sure they did because they had to. The the communication wasn't that bad. So let's say a merchant out in uh, Montana may need some things, and with people going back and forth, he would probably have somebody back in uh, back east somewhere that uh, would fill his order and get it shipped out. And I'm sure they did this well ahead of time so that they wouldn't run out of their goods. Because that's how they made their money.
1: Now, this is a dumb
0: question, but did they have a COD basis?
1: I or don't was know it how front? that
0: worked. I I have no idea, because I'm thinking, you know, sometimes the guy that was bringing it out may not make it alive to the merchant. That's right, yeah. And his goods might be gone, stolen. Gone, yeah. yeah.
1: Maybe they had to pay like
0: 50% up yeah, front. Yeah, maybe something like that. Yeah. So, Zeb, next week. Uh Uh-oh. Next week. I was over in Montpelier, Idaho a few Uh, weeks ago. I went into the last bank that Butch Cassidy robbed, which is now a a small, really unique little museum. Yeah. I bought a book that was written by his great-nephew. Okay? His great-grandmother was a sister to Butch Cassidy. Oh. Okay? Okay. So I'm going to do a two part thing in the next 2 weeks. Next week we're going to talk about Butch Cassidy, his family, where he was born, and he's raised and and how he got into the outlaw business mm-hmm. along with one of his brothers. Yeah. And then we're going to stop <laughs> And the next week, we will talk about what really happened to Butch Cassidy. Now, when
1: you say that, you're intimating that maybe he didn't die in Bolivia. I'm not even going to tell you,
0: Zeb. I see. You're just going to have to wait with everybody else.
1: Okay. Well, now <laughs> you've got me on pins and needles.
0: Yeah. I, I, this was a great book, and I'll, I'll tell you the title of it. You
1: me. do a fantastic job. So, it's good to have you fun. back.
0: Thanks, Zeb. Good to be back.
1: Good to have you back. Thank you. And so we can depend that you're going to be here for the next two weeks. Exactly. As that's but so me and tizzle. Butch
0: Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. We'll, oh yeah, we'll talk about Sundance as well it, and how he played. How into did this. they get their names? Well, we'll talk about that because there's a yeah. We'll, we'll talk about the names okay. and, and nicknames how that came were about. a big thing in the West. Not only that, but aliases.
1: Yep, there you go. A lot go. of aliases. Yeah, I mean, like Doctor History is not really Doctor <laughs> History. <laughs> That's right.
0: Okay. <laughs>